Tonight we have a chance to say, yeah, you're right. We're too extreme. We're too wild. We're too out of control. We're too full of our own shit. Or we have a chance to say, hey, fuck you, you're wrong. Fuck you, we're right. Because you have all made it to the dance. Because believe me, this is the dance. <laughs> This is Tim Benall of BenallofAmerica.com with the resumption of Benall of America Audio Season 2. It is February 3rd, 2007, and our lengthy hiatus is over. We're back. I'm very happy to be speaking to you again and looking forward to our adventures in the weeks and months to come as Benall of America Audio returns to the proverbial airwaves. In honor of our return, our guest this week is John Greenwald, creator of BlackVault.com, if you're even vaguely familiar with ufology and ufology on the internet, you know about BlackVault.com. It houses over 400,000 released government documents. It is a veritable esoteric institution. And I've wanted to get John on the program for quite some time. He's a very busy man. He works in Hollywood nowadays, producing a lot of great TV programs. So it's hard to pin him down. But we managed to get a hold of him during the hiatus and have him on the program for a lengthy conversation. So lengthy, in fact, that it's broken up into two parts. This week's installment, we'll be discussing BlackVault.com, how it got started, how John got interested in ufology in the first place. We're going to talk about how he gets the documents, the ins and outs of the Freedom of Information Act, what's the government's reaction to John's work been, and the evolution of the Internet and ufology on the Internet. And, of course, tons and tons more. We're going to go inside the Black Vault and cover every nook and cranny, as you expect here on All of America Audio. For those of you who are unfamiliar with John Greenwald, let me give you a little bit of background on him. John Greenwald is a researcher slash activist who began looking into government conspiracies at the age of 15 and wrote his first book, Beyond UFO Secrecy, at 20. Over the last 10 years, he has developed his website, BlackVault.com, into one of the Internet's premier resources for esoteric information in the form of declassified government documents obtained via the Freedom of Information Act. BlackVault.com is the largest online community of its kind in the world, with over 440,000 declassified government documents, over 15,000 archived news articles, and over 14,000 photographs of military aircraft and UFOs. It has been called one of the largest technological achievements on the Internet, and has won over 60 awards. John Greenwald is also an accomplished television producer, having created a variety of programs for the History Channel, Discovery Channel, National Geographic Channel, and many others. He's also host of the twice-weekly podcast series, Black Vault Radio. His website is, of course, www.blackvault.com. Without any further ado, let's rock and roll. This interview was recorded on January 9th, 2007. John Greenwald on Banal of America Audio, Season 2. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Banal of America Audio. Our guest is someone that I have been trying to get on the show for quite some time, and we finally have got him here on the program. 
and at the perfect timing, it seems, because uh, over the last four months on the show, we've really focused a lot on youth and ufology, ufology's lack of young people, that big picture problem that's facing the field, and John Greenwald is really sort of uh, ufology's great young hope, it seems. He's he's uh, only 25. He's been in the field for 10 years. He's done some amazing work. Uh, surely by now you've heard of the blackvault.com. It is uh, a veritable institution in the UFO field, and not just for ufology, but a wide array of esoteric topics. He's done amazing work, not just related to blackvault.com, but just a ton of stuff in his 10-year career as a researcher. As I said, he's only 25, and the future looks bright for John Greenwald, and I want to get him on the program because he's one of the very few young people with such an amazing cachet of work under their belt already. And we're going to discuss all that great stuff. John Greenwald, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, thank you. I'm glad this is radio. You're making me blush. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> well, let's start out first with your bio, your background, um, how you gravitated towards the UFO phenomenon and how BlackBall.com started up. Sure, absolutely. Well, um, as you mentioned, I am uh, 25 years old. I started this when I was 15. And, uh, you know, I, I really just started when I was curious. I, I, the, the UFO phenomenon is something that I think everyone can admit is something that is unexplained. It's something that's fascinating. And when you combine the two, I mean, you really can't help but be interested into uh, investigating it and, and going into something further and trying to figure out what really is the truth. And, and when I was 15 years old, that was exactly the case. Um, but what, what kind of sets me out again, other different uh, researchers in that I was fascinated by the government's end of this. I was mm -hmm. I was fascinated by the U.S. government conspiracy and the allegations against the government and whether or not they were covering something up and so on. And I learned of something when I was 15 that I had no idea what the heck it was about, and that was called the Freedom of Information Act. And the Freedom of Information Act was, um, as I slowly learned, and I say slowly is because it's very hard to learn in a short amount of time, yeah. that you can act access information from the U.S. government that has been declassified or you can get declassified under this particular act. And that's exactly what I did uh, in, uh, in 19, I guess it's 1996 now, when I first started uh, requesting information. And it's amazing what the government gives you. I mean, it, it tells a story that not only could you really try and um, think up on your own, it, it really is an X-Files episode. It really, yeah. my first document that I ever got was a four, a four-page document that came from the Defense Intelligence Agency. And what the Defense Intelligence Agency said was something that really you would see on an X-Files episode. And that is what got me hooked. Yeah. What the U.S. government told me legally under the Freedom of Information Act, it, it really said volumes because you realize to yourself, hey, wait a minute. If the government who wants to cover this up, and I mean, that's obvious. There's there's no beating around that bush. I don't even think it's worthy of discussion. <laughs> um, they want to cover it up. If they tell me something like this, what are they hiding? And 10 years ago, that's when I found out, and I've been in it ever since. And those four pages, one, two, three, four, just four pages, turned into now almost 500,000 pages, almost a half a million pages, and it's growing strong. I, I actually about have uh, thousands and thousands of more pages that I haven't even counted yet. It's a full filing cabinet 
top wow. to bottom full. I can't even fill it anymore. I can't <laughs> even put a three-page document in it that is waiting to be scanned to put onto the black vault. So that's that's kind of how behind schedule I am. That's the backlog that I have. And I don't mind it because, you know, I mean, I just um, I'm very adamant about what I do. I'm very aggressive, respectfully aggressive, I may add, but very aggressive in that, that I want certain things and I'm going to go out and get them. And that's exactly what I've done since day one. So, the, again, those four four pages have turned into a half a million. And I, and I so hope by the end of 2007 that it turns into a million um, pages onto the Internet, which makes the Black Vault the largest Internet database of government documents in the world outside of the U.S. government itself. So that, in a nutshell, in a nutshell, that's who I am. Wow, wow, yeah. That's, that is exactly what I'm talking about with the Black Vault. It's, it's an institution in the UFO field. Uh, everybody's heard about it. Everybody's used it as a resource. Um, and what uh, sort of stood out to me when I was looking through the through the site over the past couple of days was this little disclaimer that's at the bottom of uh, a lot of the pages, if not all of them, uh, when you're looking at the documents, and that's the Black Vault has put organization to an unorganized world, government secrecy. Uh, talk about that sort of aspect, because with all that information, you've done an amazing job of uh, allowing people really to do thorough research. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, yes, it is very, very hard to organize um, what I've called an unorganized world in that when you deal with government conspiracies or government secrets or classified information or top secret information, whatever you want to term it as, whatever type of subject you deal with, it is very hard to put organization to it. And this is what I mean by that in that when you request information, you don't get manila folders full of information that's that's kind of put into book form where you read it from page one to page 100 or in yeah. some cases page one to page 1,000, then it makes sense. And, and it's very hard when you get a stack of 1,000 pages that are in no order. Really, they're in no chronologic, chronological order. They, they really make no sense whatsoever, and you have to make sense of them. Yeah, and and with the black vault, that's what I try and do. In that, you know, four hundred and fifty to five hundred thousand pages, you really try and put order to this. Because if somebody said, "Hey, here's five hundred thousand pages of declassified documents," but they weren't in any order or any kind of organization whatsoever, I mean, who the heck is really going to look at it? I mean, nobody's going to look at it. Yeah. And so what I've tried to do is put it not only in, in categories and, and by agency that you can see, okay, this came from here and this came from there, but really in an understandable order that you can download the document, and even though you download 250 or 500 or even 1,000 pages, you get what it's trying to say. So when I say, hey, I put order to a, 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 a really unorganized world, that's what I mean because – when you deal with the Freedom of Information Act and when you try and investigate anything when it comes to the United States government, it really takes a lot of patience on so many different levels. First and foremost, you're not going to get a book when, it, when, when they send it to you. You're not going to get something that, hey, here's 60 pages and understand what you requested. That's not it. Yeah. You get the first 100 pages or 500 pages, whatever it may be, on the stack of their files. Whatever order that is, you, you're pretty much crossing your fingers that it makes sense. Yeah. And and that's really what it is. And and 
whenever people come to me and say, hey, the, the Freedom of Information Act doesn't work and I don't want to spend the time to do it because I'm not going to get anything, it actually does work. And I'm, I'm an advocate for trying to make people understand that, that the Freedom of Information Act does work. I encourage anyone out there, um, big or small, hey, do it because it works. But what you have to keep in mind is you're not going to get a published novel yeah. in your mailbox. You're just not. You're going to get a stack of pages that really don't make a whole lot of sense. And what you have to do is then make sense out of that. And it is a challenge. But, again, I encourage everyone to do it because, again, the system works. Yeah. And of the of that huge mass of documents that you have at blackwall.com, how many uh, came from you and your legwork and then the filing on your part and um, and uh, if any that came from elsewhere, where most did they come from? 100% of what you download from the Black Vault came from FOIA requests, Freedom of Information Act requests that came from myself. Wow. Um, there is a small percentage, probably 5% maybe, that came from suggestions from outside sources. Yeah. Um, but what I always aim to do is to make sure that if you download it from the Black Vault, it came from the United States government. And 100%, 100% of what you download is coming from the United States government. And to prove that, you'll see the Freedom of Information Act responses. You'll see my questions. You'll see all. You'll see all sorts all sorts of things uh, to prove that this is not something that was fabricated from someone else who sent it to me from someone else. And you don't really know where the source came from. The source is the U.S. government. There's no disputing it. Yeah, and anyone can verify it. Actually, um, under this act, anybody can uh, can prove what I am saying, and, uh, and and these documents are from the U.S. government, whatever agency they are from, anybody can prove it. Yeah, they just file the same sort of claim as the one you did, right? Absolutely, yep. Um, and now, uh, filing for all these claims and everything, is, is there a lot of uh, bureaucratic fees and that sort of thing attached to a Freedom of Information Act request, and if so, where does the funding for all that come from for the Black Wall? Well, the fees itself are, um, it, it's its a very tricky subject because, it, again, it depends on what agency you're dealing with. It depends on what you're requesting and how long it's going to take for that agency to search for it. Has the information been out in the public before and so on? Yeah. The fees itself are, in, the way the Freedom of Information Act breaks down is it, it, it breaks you, the requester, down in different categories. The most common requester is what is called a non-commercial requester. Yeah. And the non-commercial requester is not profiting off the information that they received, uh, which I fit in. I don't profit off this information. It is disseminated to the public 100% for free. Mm -hmm. And they're requesting it for not only their own private use, but again, it's not for any type of magazine, book. They're not selling it in a, some kind of package or so on. That is what they mean by non-commercial. A second uh, category is commercial requester, which obviously, if you're selling this information, it goes into a packet that you're saying, hey, give me 19.99, you can get this. Yeah. That's a commercial requester. And the third category, which is kind of hard to fit in, is an academic requester. Now, all that 
those three categories mean. It breaks down on how much you get for free, mm -hmm. which means if they search for a certain amount of hours, if you're a non-commercial requester, you get two hours for free, which means if they search for two hours, it's free. Yeah. If they search for more than that, it can range up to almost $100 an hour, if not more, depending upon the agency. And uh, academic requesters, they get, they get everything for free. They get all the search, uh, search hours for free. Um, with all of the, the copies for free, again, non-commercial, two-hour search uh, for free, and 100 pages for free. And then commercial requester pays for everything because simply they're profiting off of it. Yeah. And that's how it breaks down. When I request information, sometimes it is, uh, it's primarily in non-commercial categories. I've had um, a huge problem with the government about three years ago that tried to say I was a commercial requester. It was a, a, a memorandum that was put out by the Department of Defense, which, you know, I'll, I'll uh, spare you of the long, boring, drawn-out story, but what they tried to say was that I was a commercial requester, which meant that all agencies were to charge me for 100% of search time and copies. Yeah. And let me tell you, in the volume that I send out Freedom of Information Act requests, that was a lot of money. Yeah. So that caused a huge problem. And, and by the book, I am not a commercial requester. Mm -hmm. So it, it took a long time to fight. I am a non-commercial requester. And, and so, I, again, I, I get two hours for free, 100 pages of search time. But when you get a 1,000 pages in response to your request, you've got to pay for those 900 pages. Yeah. And so, again, depending upon the agency, it ranges from 10 cents a page all the way to 25 cents a page. So, you know, sometimes on, on one request, you can pay 50 100 or $200 for some of the requested material, yeah. which is not uncommon at all. That money comes straight from my pocket. If um, there are some users that go to the Black Vault that decide to donate, which is very, very welcome, it does not obviously go into my pocket because the site itself is hundreds of dollars to actually maintain. Yeah, yeah. And then um, any excess, if any, definitely goes to pay for the documents. But uh, over the years, I've paid thousands of dollars for documents and photocopies and so on and so forth from all these different agencies. And again, I mean, the excess really does come from my back pocket. Wow. Yeah. Um, and now, this is sort of, uh, hopefully you have some information on this. Uh, we had Richard Dolan on the show. I also saw you had him on your show recently, so that's pretty cool. Yes. Uh, and he he mentioned something about, uh, like, a retroactive reclassification of documents that had come out through the uh, Freedom of Information Act. Has this affected the Black Vault at all, and do you know anything about this story? I do a little bit. Um, it, uh, again, it kind of depends on what Rich was really focusing on, but what I have heard over the years is, is post-9-11 world, it is a very different government. It's a very different world, and I'm the first to admit that. And there have been documents that have been reclassified that uh, were previously declassified for public distribution, which meant if I requested them, they would be released to me. But now after the post-9-11 world, they were reclassified and kind of pulled from the shelves, so to speak. Mm -hmm. That has definitely happened, uh, primarily in the National Archives. Now, when you deal with the UFO phenomenon, I have yet to see that documents have been pulled from public distribution and reclassified and or an increase of secrecy when it comes to subjects like this. Yeah. I have yet to see that. 
has it happened? You know, quite possibly. I'm not sure. I have yet to see it. So, you know, yes, it, it, there has been a reclassification of thousands of documents, whether dealt with biological weapons or nuclear weapons or something that is a, an increased sensitivity to homeland security. Yeah. And, you know, I kind of consider myself a patriot. I get that. You know, I have no qualms about that at all. I'm not I'm not afraid that if the government called me one day and they said, hey, you know, we sent you this document about a year and a half ago. It is now 2007, and we want to pull that from you because it's being reclassified. I'd be happy to hear something like that yeah. because I know that, yes, even though I was on the ball and I got this classified information released from the government, it was meant to remain classified, so I wouldn't have a problem with them calling me. I've yet to have that happen. Yeah. So in a way, yes, Rich is, is absolutely correct when he says that the government has went back on some of their classifications uh, with documents they have released. But in their defense, it's absolutely warranted because, you know, times are different. This is 2006, 2007, and it's different than 1996, 1997. It's different than 1986, 1987. And documents that were released 20 years ago may have been okay to national security, but today is different. Mm -hmm. And if they tell me, hey, you know what, this should be reclassified, I get it. And I think um, I, I think anybody should get it. I, I think that certain information available under the Freedom of Information Act, if it should be or is deemed to be reclassified, absolutely we should support that. Would they call you uh, if you had, because you have so many documents, I figured by now that uh, you would have one by accident or something that they reclassified. I'm not sure. I've never heard uh, anything via telephone or via, hey, I've got a knock on my t uh, on my door <laughs> yeah. and, and they're standing on my doorstep. I, I would not be surprised at all if they gave a knock on my doorstep and they were standing right there to say, hey, we need these documents back. Um, I don't know what their protocol is. Um, again, I, I would not be surprised if standing on my doorstep was the primary uh, action <laughs> yeah. that was taken. Yeah. Because that, you know, that, if that's their primary, uh, if that's their primary objective is to get these documents back, it's not via snail mail that's going to take a couple weeks. They're going to send a memo to a field office and have the FBI show up at my doorstep yeah. and say, "Okay, Greenwald, turn over these." these documents, and I'd be right there to turn them over. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's quite a process here acquiring all these documents, and if you look at it, and this is sort of uh, breaking the fourth wall in a way, but if you look at it sort of almost as an art form, how do you choose which documents to look for? How do you choose uh, what path to go down? Because you're not just, like I said, you don't just have UFO documents on blackball.com. It covers a wide array of subjects. Um, what goes into the process of you deciding where, what avenues to chase? That's a very hard one to answer, and I think uh, to answer it simply, I'm a very curious mind by nature. Um, from day one in 1996, yes, it was UFOs that really kind of led the way and opened me up to learning the Freedom of Information Act. But I think um, when I was waiting for these UFO documents to come because you don't get the stuff in three weeks. I mean, yeah. Sometimes you wait three months, you wait six months, and literally, no joking, no exaggeration, I've been receiving documents that have been requested for over six years. Wow. I mean, six years is a long time to wait for documents. So to answer that question, I, I think a lot of it is, is curiosity, is that I want to know a lot about history and different um, 
different eras in history and, and different incidents in history, whether it be UFOs or the JFK era or um, mind control, the mind control research that went on, or biological or chemical weapons or nuclear weapons, you name it, by nature, I'm just curious. The other part of it is when I'm requesting information, like whether it be UFOs or anything else, you're waiting a long time, so you're just kind of sitting around twiddling your thumbs. Yeah. And what I realized in the first year of researching was like, well, I don't want to wait for this. I don't, I don't <laughs> want to wait six months to just, you know, wait for this document to come. So let's request this. And then I would type up that letter. And then I would think, hmm, well, let's request this. Yeah. And then I would type up that letter. And, and soon enough, I was sending out these Freedom of Information Act requests 20, 30, 40 at a time. Wow. <laughs> So I was I was getting to know my mailman quite well because not only was he collecting these mounds of letters to the Pentagon and the CIA <laughs> and the FBI and, and you name the agency, I had a letter going to it, but I was collecting all these documents from the CIA and the FBI. So he thought he didn't he never once it never dawned on him that a 15, 16, or 17-year-old kid was collecting this information. Mm-hmm. He thought my dad was a secret agent. Uh-huh. He thought my dad was an agent for some kind of government agency, and he said, my God, he's getting information from all over the place. He must be this big, high-up person. <laughs> and so when he finally had the guts to ask me, I was honest with him and just said, no, 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 those are all to me. My dad's name is John, too. Okay. So, yeah. you know, we're both Johns. So that's where he got confused. But I said, no, no, no. I said, I'm, I'm John Jr., and John Jr. is the one getting all this information, and I explained to him what I got, and kind of the rest was history. But, you know, you, you just kind of, um, again, it's, it's halfway curiosity because you want to know what the government's uh, hiding on all these different types of subjects. And trust me, there's tons of them. There's tons of them that you can think of. And on the other end, you get sick and tired of waiting for the ones that you've already re- requested. Yeah. Yeah. So you're looking for something to do. So you kind of, I don't know, uh, make up other things to go for. And sure enough, a lot of those things pan out to be something very worthwhile to investigate. So that's kind of how I, I kind of pick and choose. And still to this day, you never know, you know, do I do I do this for curiosity or do I do this because I'm bored? <laughs> so. So, you know, it's fun either way because when you get a document in the mail, you know, not to go on and on about this, but when you get a, a document in the mail, no matter 10 pages or 100 pages or even a 1,000 pages, I'm telling you I am like a kid in a candy store. I just I open these things and rip them open from whatever agency they may be from. And it's just amazing what you get in the mail. And on top of that, you may request something in 2002, and then in 2007, you open that up, and, and you know, on February 1st, 2007, and you waited, you know, five years for this document to come. You forgot about it. Yeah. I mean, we'll be honest. You yeah. just totally forgot that you requested this thing. And you open up this box of material, and, and you get documents that have never, ever seen sunshine. And I'll tell you, that's the biggest thrill when I open up an envelope or a box of documents and they've never seen sunshine before. That is the most amazing feeling, and uh, and that's really what I why I do what I do. Nice, nice. Um, now, a lot of people, uh, especially in this field of the esoteric, have a, a sort of... Um how can I put this, an innate fear almost of the government, especially when you're dealing in the secrecy aspect. But you're you're right there knocking on their door. 
what's been your relationship with uh, all these various people and the government and everything? Um, like you said, they tried to put the hammer down on you a few years ago with this with this commercial versus non-commercial thing. Have you had otherwise uh, a pretty friendly sort of relationship with the government, or are they ever like, hey, stop bothering us with requests, man? You're you're wearing out the secretaries or something like that. <laughs> well, you know what? To answer it simply, all of the above. Yeah. Um, to elaborate a little bit, my relationship is that I try and I encourage everybody to do so. Try and be as respectful as possible because, you know what, there are people just like you and I yeah. doing their job. Exactly. And their job's not easy. I mean, when, when there's someone like me, and trust me, I'm one of the, one of the, one of the worst people out there. <laughs> when there's someone like me who doesn't take that standard form letter response and I keep pushing and pushing and pushing and keep requesting and requesting and requesting and then they, you know, on their desk they get 10 requests from me in a single day. Yeah. They don't like me. But, uh, you know, on the contrary, they have never really been rude to me. They've never had a problem with me. I've heard off the record that, yes, absolutely, these agencies know who I am. Yeah. They talk about me. I, you know, a couple years ago, I found out that in the Pentagon, namely the headquarters of the United States Air Force, that my name was kind of a household name, that when Greenwald sent in a Freedom of Information Act request, they kind of shrugged and rolled their eyes and <laughs> kind of hated the, the, the hated the day because I was sending in a request. Oh, God. And, you know, in one way, it's like, wow, I'm making a difference. And the other way, it's like, man, I hope they're really not ticked because, you know, I mean, they are people like you and I, and they, they work very hard to search for whatever document you're requesting through thousands, if not tens of thousands of pages is not an easy job. Yeah. So I've always tried to be very considerate to them and very respectful and so on. Now, to play devil's advocate with myself... Think about when you're trying to research something, it takes years to get a response and they play a game with you. Yeah. It's very challenging <laughs> to be <laughs> respectful with them. And it's very hard to be nice to them. And that's no for no other reason other than you're not talking to these people face-to-face. -face. You're not even talking to them on the telephone. You're talking via postal mail. Yeah. And so when you, when you deal with that, I think any human being can admit it's very hard to remain respectful because you don't put a person behind it. So I kind of, you know, fight with myself when I'm writing these letters to the government, when I'm appealing a decision or trying to fight with the government for certain information, that I have to realize, okay, these guys, this is all they do. They might not like it. They might hate it, you know, but they're, they're going through tens of thousands of pages of documents looking for what I'm requesting. So I, I try and keep that in mind. But again, on the opposite side of the scale, they have to do it. That is their job. That is what they signed up for, and that is the United States law. That's the way it goes. So, you know, you, you just kind of have to balance between the two. And I, and I hope that if any government agency is listening, and I'm sure they are, that they say, yeah, you know what, Greenwald is respectful, and he does have a good relationship with us. Yes, he doesn't take our standard form letter responses, or he keeps pushing, and yes, he does create a lot of work for us, but like almost everybody listening, I pay my taxes. Yeah. So I know what my rights are. I've earned it, and that's what I go for. So, you know, again, to repeat myself, you keep that good rapport with that agency you're requesting information from, but also you, you, you keep aggressive. You know, you, you don't give up because the minute you give up, if they are trying to cover it up, no matter what the subject is, they won.
So you have to keep aggressive and that you just don't give up. So find the balance between the two, and you found one of the best hobbies you can ever have in your life. I yeah. guarantee it. Nice, nice. Um, all right, this one's sort of a broad, open-ended question. Maybe you can... Uh Maybe you can sort of hone in on something you want to talk about. As I pointed out earlier in our discussion, blackball.com is not just UFO documents. It covers this amazing array of topics. Is there any key area that you sort of have as a favorite or a sub-favorite aside from UFOs that you think is uh, pertinent, that is worthy, you know, if the first-time visitor is going to go there, would you suggest to check out? Well, I, you know, I always say, hey, look at the UFO phenomenon. That that really was that, that really is why the Black Vault was born. Mm -hmm. That's my first request. Those are some of the oldest documents that I've requested. Uh, meaning, in in nineteen in August of nineteen ninety six, when I started this whole thing, the UFO subject was the number one thing that I went after. So I would recommend to go after that, not only because of the historical value for myself, but because of what you see. In that there are thousands of documents there that aren't supposed to exist. If you listen to the U.S. government, if you say, okay, so the U.S. government is telling the truth, what are they saying? And they say, well, we haven't investigated UFOs since 1969. We haven't had an interest in them. We investigated them in a project called Project Blue Book in 1969. That was it. We had enough. From 1947 to 1969, we collected 12,000-plus reports and there's nothing to the subject. That is what they say. That is factual. That is on the books. Anybody can prove that. Yes. Now, take that into account, put that in your brain, and look at the UFO phenomena section in the blackvault.com. Yes. When you look at that, there are thousands of documents, not just 200 or 5 or 10 or 500, not even 1,000, but thousands of documents that come well after that cutoff date of 1969 that the U.S. government has collected, they've translated, they've investigated, and they look into UFO reports not only from the United States, not only from the U.S. and Canada, but from around the world. If there's nothing to this topic and they're so adamant about saying that, why are why do these thousands of pages exist? Yeah. And so I point people to this section because it is important to look at. Now, granted, does it say there's an alien species with six fingers and they're five foot two and they're gray and they have big <laughs> bulbous eyes? No, you're not going to find that, and, and, and I hope everyone knows that. But what you have to do is you have to piece this together like a puzzle, that you have to put these documents together. You have to read the UFO um, reports. You have to read the UFO sightings. You have to see what not a farmer in the middle of Kansas is seeing. You have to see what a United States Air Force pilot is seeing. Or you have to read what some kind of foreign national is seeing. Or you have to see whatever it may be. That is what the United States government is collecting. And I think that holds value because most people, skeptics, whomever wants to talk out about the UFO uh, topic and say, hey, there's nothing there, there's, there's nothing to look into because they're just farmers in the middle of Kansas or Missouri or wherever it may be that are seeing UFO topic or UFO reports and there's nothing to the subject that warrants a, a, an investigation because there's no credible people. That, in fact, is untrue. And it only takes the United States government and their documents to prove that. And I, and I think that's the biggest support to the UFO phenomenon is that it only takes the United States government and their official UFO documents to prove it. So that's why I point people there. I say, hey, go look at those documents. 
And and on top of all that, if you say, oh, well, okay, so it's it's some kind of other country flying an airplane or this, that, or the other thing or whatever they want to explain the UFO phenomena as, yeah. when you look at these things, some of them, you know, hundreds of them, again, if not thousands of these documents are blacked out, not line by line, most of the time, paragraph by paragraph, and page by page. Oh, wow. When you deal with a top-secret document that is blacked out from top to bottom, you know you hit something big. Yeah. And when you look at the black fault, if you go into the document section, I'm looking at it now, um, you know, there's there's about 30-plus sections of different topics that yeah. you can look into. UFOs is just one of them. But when you deal with all those sections, and, and in my 10 years of research, I can positively tell you that the UFO phenomena is the most difficult subject to research. It's the most difficult subject to get any type of information via the Freedom of Information Act. I mean, I can tell you chemical weapons, chemical weapons secrets and nuclear weapons secrets easier than I can UFO information. Yeah. Even from the last 12 years, you have to admit there's something there. Mm-hmm. So that is why I, I point people to the UFO phenomena. Now, a lot of people out there, a lot of people listening, they may not be interested in that. So I would highly recommend the mind control area. The mind control area is irrefutable. It, it details um, a congressional hearing that took place about the CIA's research into mind control, uh, namely a program called MKUltra. And MKUltra was obviously the, the CIA program to try and figure out how to control the minds of whomever they captured, whether it be some kind of Soviet um, operative or, or, or whatever. I mean, that really was their mind control program, but they were trying to figure out how this worked. And originally it started as a defensive maneuver, uh, beginning with, I believe it was the Department of uh, Department of the Army that actually had one of the first programs yeah. to defend against what the Soviets were claiming, and that they had this uh, this operation, what they called a mind control operation, to if they if they captured a United States operative, they could expel all this information from their brain, oh, wow. um, and and that's. That freaked our government out. That, that the military intelligence was in a tailspin. So what the Department of the Army did was they created this defensive operation to try and figure out how to defend against that. And the CIA, who was well over budget, like you wouldn't believe around this time, I believe this was in the 1960s when this first came around, they started stealing the intelligence of the Department of the Army because they couldn't afford it themselves, so they just kind of started stealing it. <laughs> you know, if you can't afford it, why not steal it? And that's what the U.S. government did, and namely the CIA. And then finally, when the MK Ultra program was was born, um, the CIA took control of it, and, and the rest was history. And, and in this section, you will read this congressional hearing, and you will find out actually how a um, United States uh, United States scientist was actually he ended up dying over operations that the CIA did over experiments I should say oh, wow. that the CIA did against this particular scientist. Um, without their knowledge, they tested these, you know, it was kind of a combination between injecting LSD and uh, inducing the subjects under hypnosis. It was a combination of LSD and hypnosis, <laughs> which allowed them to expel all this information. So not only did the U.S. government figure out how to defend against this, they also figured out how to do this as an offensive maneuver yeah. into if they ca- caught a Soviet 
operative or whomever it might be, that they could actually expel the information from them. So they realized the intelligence value in it. And then in the 60s or 70s, they ended up killing one of their own agents. And, you know, the rest is an, it's just an absolute novel. Yeah. I'm surprised, I'm shocked that it is not a movie yet. I know, it's all Because like it. it is a fascinating thing that, that happened in the United States government history that not many people know about, let alone talk about. Yeah. And that's what you'll find in the mind control, uh, the mind control section. And, you know, to, to repeat myself, those are two sections out of 30-plus. Exactly. So there's tons of stuff that you can find. FBI Files has a bunch of celebrity FBI files. It's fascinating to see Lucille Ball's FBI file or John Wayne's FBI file, Elvis Presley's FBI file, but it doesn't end in the uh, celebrities. It, it goes right to the gangsters, the 1920s and, and 30s gangsters uh, that you would hear about um, in the history books and so on. So I would definitely... Um, Definitely check out that. And it, it just goes on and on. I mean, yeah. it, you know, 500,000 pages is, <laughs> is a lot of information. And for those who aren't necessarily the conspiracy buffs, I mean, I, I have a big section on World War II, which I'm a big uh, big history buff, but namely with World War II, it's always stuck out in my mind well before I started Freedom of Information Act requests. Go to that section, and, and you'll find uh, thousands of pages there on, on all sorts of things during World War One and, and Two. So it, it's just, uh, it's never-ending what anybody who might conjure up in their in their brain can go after with the Freedom of Information Act. It's it's a viable tool that I, that, that I recommend anybody, anybody to use, because as much as you might assume that it, it doesn't work, there are problems with it, there are frustrations along the way, but, you know, I, I hope that I serve as an example that it does work, and there are tens of thousands of documents that you would never, ever dream of coming out of the U.S. government, and they have, and yeah. it's, all, it's all thanks to the Freedom of Information Act. Yeah, blackball.com covers the gamut of, of, of just a ton of different esoteric areas. Um, one thing that sort of you just sparked a question here that I just thought of uh, when you were talking about the celebrity FBI files. Have you um, looked into any FBI files on famous ufologists that have passed on and even maybe famous debunkers like Phil Class and that kind of thing? Yeah, Phil Class does, in fact, have an FBI file. Um, I do not have that up on uh, blackball.com yet, but I know there are a few sites that do have it. Um, and with that being said, yes, there are there are past UFO people that have these FBI files. Stan Friedman was just on the Black Vault radio show mm-hmm. last week, and, and he himself admitted that there were FBI files on himself and that he was able to retrieve those. Um, so, yeah, absolutely they exist, and it, it just takes the patience and the determination from whomever that researcher may be to try and, and, and expel those, those FBI files from the FBI and, and get those FBI files. But absolutely, to answer your question in short, there are files on these UFO researchers, and the government did watch these people. Yeah. And uh, it's one thing that I'd like to focus on more because it, it, does, it does show the interest in the U.S. government trying to figure out what the what the UFO community knows, what these prominent UFO researchers, and you know what, even myself, 
what we're what we're disseminating to the rest of the people in the UFO community. Um, I've done thousands of these requests to every corner of the government. One of the biggest ones, or one of the quickest ones, I should say, one of the quickest responses I got from the U.S. government was from the FBI, and it was a request for an FBI file on myself. And they told me uh, via the Freedom of Information Act that I did not have an FBI file. Now, for anybody with experience with this or who wants to have the experience, be prepared. You're going to wait for a long time. Six, uh, last that I heard was about six months if you if there is no file that pertains to your request, yeah. or about 12 months if there is a file. Mm-hmm. I received a response to a request on myself in about two and a half weeks. Weird. I have never had a response that quickly. So, you know, I'm sure they have. I'm sure they have a a file on me. I'm sure they've looked into me. What am I doing with this information? Mm -hmm. And I say that for two reasons. Number one, look at the documents that I request and look what I do with them. Yeah. But, But I think... I think you have to pose the question for number two, and that what's scarier, the fact that they're looking into a 15, 16, 17, I, granted I'm 25 now, I'm still a kid. Yeah. What does a 14, 15, 16, 17, all the way to 25-year-old kid do with these documents? Or why is a 14, 15, 16, or all the way to 25-year-old kid, why are they requesting this? Yeah. I think both warrants an investigation on why. Now, that doesn't mean I'm doing anything bad with it. Anybody can check blackball.com and check. I'm not doing anything bad with it. But the fact that the U.S. government is being bombarded by somebody like me, mm-hmm. that warrants an investigation because I don't, I don't know what's scarier, the fact that they're looking into me or the fact that they are ignoring me. Yes. So when you deal with that, I, you know, I, absolutely, I think common sense shows. I probably do have a pretty extensive file. Um, I just don't know if I want to know how big. <laughs> <laughs> now, you said they, they sent you back a thing that said that you didn't. Now, uh, what does that mean, that they were lying to you or that they found some kind of loophole to keep you in the dark on that? Um, yeah, no, 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 good question. The, the last time I checked, the FBI um, over any other agency does have a license to lie, which means if the case is open, if they have a file on you and they have something that's going on, whether it be an investigation or, or whatever it may be, if you play a part in another investigation, yeah. that the FBI as an agency over any other has the license to lie, and they can say, no, you don't have a file, and in fact, they have... A file as big as the room you're sitting in, if not four times as large. Yeah. So, you know, taking that into consideration, they can tell you anything that they want. In reality, they have a pretty fat file on you, and you can't access it. Can other agencies do that? I haven't found a legal reason why they can. However, it's the U.S. government. <laughs> so if they want to say, hey, we got nothing on this or nothing on that, you can really chop it up to two things. Number one, they don't want to tell you and they're lying. Or number two, which I've found to very much be the case, is that there's people like you and I that don't necessarily want to work. And if they maybe put a, um, you know, I don't want to say that uh, terminology, but a a half-butted way into putting a research effort into what you're requesting and they come up with nothing, they tell you there's nothing. Yeah. And in reality, there's hundreds and hundreds of pages. And I've had this happen to me. I did a request to the uh, Department of the Air Force, namely the Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. 
and I did a request to them for all documents relating to UFOs. Now, my motivation for this in 1997 was that they were the headquarters for the UFO investigation for um, for Project Blue Book. Yep. So, of course, that if there were any documents that were left outside of the U.S. government, uh, they would be at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And they sent me a signed letter nor, uh, with Wright-Patterson Air Force Base letterhead that said, no, we do not have anything related to the UFO phenomenon. And as I stated earlier, they haven't collected UFO information since 1969, and they gave me that fact sheet that told me to go to the National Archives. Yeah. I read an article in UFO magazine about eight months after my request. And what it said was that Wright-Patterson Air Force Base released almost a 1,000 pages on the UFO phenomenon. That told me right there, that was proof enough that there are are government agents, although that's probably an incorrect term, but, but government agents, you know, personnel of the military or government that work in the Freedom of Information Act offices that simply don't look for the information that you're requesting, whether it be laziness, whether it be simply due to the fact that it's just unorganized. It really is. If you ever go to the National Archives, you realize how unorganized it really is. Maybe it's that. I don't know. But the fact remains that they had a thousand pages that they should have sent me almost a year prior and never did. And I had to read about it in a magazine. And I filed another request and said, hey, guys, you told me that you didn't have anything. You said you did what they call in a quote-unquote exhaustive search. <laughs> so they did an exhaustive search on something that they should have found documents on. Almost a thousand pages. That's not something that you'll find shoved in a, a desk drawer that, oh, well, that's obvious they missed that. That's a thousand pages. And they, they didn't, they didn't find it. So, you know, I mean, it, they have that information. The information is there and more than likely you just gotta stick with it. It, it comes down to the determination and the patience to the Freedom of Information Act requester. So, you know, I'll, I'll beat it to death. Hey, if you do this, be patient and be determined on what you're trying to get. Yeah, yeah. So you've been doing this since 1996, which is really uh, almost sort of like when the Internet really started bubbling up and becoming a big thing. And now yeah. it's uh, really kind of mainstream, commonplace Internet. Uh, and BlackFall.com has uh, survived the test of time, if you will, for over a decade now. Uh, first of all, what is your general impression of the evolution of ufology on the Internet? You started out, and uh, now, of course, there's just millions of UFO sites out there. Blackfall.com is one of the most respected sites online for UFO information. What's your uh, overall opinion of the evolution of ufology on the Internet and its landscape now? Well, first off, thank you for your kind words on uh, on the Black Vault. But, you know, I the evolution in, in the last 10 years, almost 11 years now in August, is outstanding what I have seen the Internet evolve to. I remember when I was, um, even pre-BlackVault.com uh, days, when I was programming websites, and I remember when backgrounds didn't exist. Yeah. And I hate to age myself. I am 25 years old. But <laughs> I hate to age myself when I said I was programming websites before backgrounds existed. When you see those colors or those images in the background of websites, 
those didn't exist when I first started. It was a gray background with black text. Yeah. That was my first website. As that evolved, you know, the black vault came to be, and, you know, backgrounds were like the thing. So you would have the loudest, yeah. god-awful backgrounds that you could ever imagine. Um, and sure enough, I mean, I, I had those on my side. You go to black, you know, the black vault, and it was like these, you know, these really bright clouds that you couldn't read anything on the site, <laughs> but it was just because we could have a background, we would put a background. Yeah. So that is one evolution that I've seen over the last 10, 11 years is the fact that, wow, now we have, okay, so we, we dropped the background, thank God, um, and, you know, I saw the rise and fall of, of banner advertisements, and I saw the rise and fall of, of hundreds, if not thousands thousands of dot-coms with different UFO sites and and just all sorts of things. But the evolution has always remained the same and the people want to know the truth. They want information. They want valuable information. They want information they can't get anywhere else. And I believe that in almost 11 years of doing this, 10 and a half years of doing this, that I've achieved that. When you go to theblackfault.com, a lot of those documents, tens of thousands of those things, you cannot get anywhere else, including the U.S. government. Yeah. Um, the evolution, you know, you, you see those the, the rise and fall of copycats, and you see the rise and fall of, of, of UFO sites that say, hey, look at these pictures or look at these videos, and it's the same stuff over and over. Yeah. And I think what people really want and what they're really looking for are those sites that offer something different. And I, and I really, truly hope that the Black Vault achieved that and that you can get uh, documents there and information there that you cannot get anywhere else. Uh, when it comes to other sites, I mean, technology has just come, I, I, I can't even explain how far in the last 10 years. Oh, yeah. You know, streaming video and podcasts and online radio shows were, yeah, right, when you would mention that in 1996. And even before that, I was programming websites in 1994. The Black Vault didn't exist till 96, but I had my own personal website in 94. And, you know, you, you would just laugh at people that talked about Internet radio and, and streaming video and stuff like that. I mean, it wasn't even talked about then. Now it's, it's all about that. It's all about animation and radio and videos and watch television shows here. And mm-hmm. it's just amazing. But when it comes down to it, the evolution, uh, when it comes to the information and the value of information has never changed in, in that you have to have something that people cannot get anywhere else. And that's what I go for when it comes to U.S. government research. You go for subjects that people are interested in, but not many other people are actually going for. Mm-hmm. And and that's 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 my aim. That's my goal. And and again, to to use the analogy I did before about a kid in a candy store. When I open up a, a new document or, or box of documents that come in the in the uh, in the mailbox, you know the feeling that I get when I can scan a document that there's only, I mean, literally three or four people in the world that have seen this document when I scan it. You know, it's it's the select few people that have seen it with clearances in the government. It's declassified and sent to me, so we're, we're up to four or five people, yeah. you know, depending upon the document. Then I scan and put it online, and then tens of thousands of people download it. Yeah. That, to me, is why I keep going, and, and that really is the evolution of the Internet, and I say that because that's what people want. They want something new, and um, and that's what I try and give them with the black ball.
Nice. Good answer. Good answer. Um, and how would you sum up sort of like the uh, the landscape of ufology on the Internet nowadays? Not so, so much uh, how it's come about, but just uh, how it is now. Some people are, are cool with it. Some people think it's doing really well. And other people sort of think that, you know, that it's overcrowded with too many uh, flim-flam sort of sites. What do you, what do you Absolutely. think? Absolutely. Well, I agree with you on the latter part of that statement. Not to be too cynical, you know, with the evolution of the Internet and, and how many people access the Internet and put on their own websites and blogs and podcasts, and, you know, there's a big benefit to that, but there's also a big downfall in that when you're doing legitimate UFO research, it's no secret that you do get the flim-flams of the world. I mean, it, it doesn't matter what topic you're dealing with. Yeah. The flim-flams of the world somehow migrate to the UFO topic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've been on this Internet for longer than I want to, want to admit, and you do get those types of people that just don't care about anything but ruffling feathers or starting problems yeah. or getting their 15 seconds of fame. Mm -hmm. And And... I think in a way that's hurting the UFO community because you're, you're seeing more UFO stories on sites like theonion.com, you know, where the onion is, is all the fake news. Yeah. You're seeing more stories in, um, the National Enquirer or, you know, you, you name the fake news source. The internet is really paving the way for those crackpots, and sorry to use the term. No, it's all right. The crackpots to say, hey, look at this UFO. I saw this and so and so. And it's the cheapest Photoshop rendition of a UFO that you could ever even dream of. Yeah. But they put it to a magazine and they get it published. Mm -hmm. primarily online, and then all these people say, oh, that's proof of a UFO, and then they forward that to all their friends, and then all their friends forward that to all their friends, and then sooner or later, you've got this big old hype about nothing, and then for the majority of the people who see it, they go, oh, that's just, you know, flipping ridiculous, yeah. and, and the UFO topic is absolutely nothing, so when you come out with something that's worthy of talking about, people are going to dismiss it because all of those huge percentage of people that just want their 15 seconds of fame. So that, you know, that I think is hurting the UFO community. However, on the flip side, then you've got the internet, which connects people around the world. You know, you don't have to pay for long distance charges or phone charges. You don't have to pay for postage, for mailing mounds of, of documents. You just scan them on the internet and share information from your house in Missouri to that person in Italy. You know, and it's boom instantaneous. And it's a double-edged sword. I mean, you know, do you want that convenience for the UFO community to uh, communicate with each other, but you're also going to add in all those crackpots who just want their 15 seconds of fame and can make up any story whatsoever. Yeah. And the shame about the UFO topic is that crackpot who made up that story is the one that's going to get all the airtime. <laughs> exactly. It's not people like you and me that care. Yeah. It's not people like you and me that actually have the credible evidence to say, hey, guys, look at this. Hey, look what the National Security Agency sent to me. There's something to this. No, no, no. It's that crackpot in the middle of, you know, BFE nowhere yeah. that says, hey, look at this photograph. It's the worst thing you could ever imagine. That hits mainstream media, and everybody laughs at all of us researching it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in short, the, the Internet is such a double-edged sword when it comes to the UFO topic, more so than most, because for whatever reason, it attracts those people that should not be in the field. Yeah. And 
the internet brings them. <laughs> yep, yep. All right, that's a, a really perfect segue into uh, sort of the next big topic I want to discuss with you, and that's uh, really a, sort of a pet topic here on Banal of America Audio. That's the youth and ufology. Ufology's problem yeah. with attracting young people. How's that for a cliffhanger, folks? I'm going to leave you hanging there until next week. Thus concludes this week's edition of Banal of America Audio. Big, big thanks to John Greenwald for clearing some time in his busy schedule to talk to Banal of America Audio and to give us a real education into what BlackVault.com is all about and how it's put together. Of course, you can find out more information on John Greenwald and the amazing BlackVault.com website at BlackVault.com, obviously, www.BlackVault.com. If you haven't checked out BlackVault.com yet, definitely do so. There's an amazing wealth of material there for your esoteric enjoyment. Now it's time for Banal of America Audio listener feedback. This week we have merely a question. Not, it's not so much a letter, but a question, and it comes from usofe.com poster Gnostic Knowledge. It's been a while since I pointed this out, and I've got a couple emails about this, people asking where they can discuss Banal of America Audio and talk about the various episodes with other listeners, and you can do that at www.theusofe.com. Let me spell it out for you. It's real simple. T-H-E-U-S-O-F-E.com. Stands for the United States of Esoterica, but really the URL is a mishmash of letters, so people get kind of confused. Much like BOA Audio, if you're hip to what we're up to, you understand it. If you don't, you're uh, in the dark. T H E U S O F E dot com, all one word. Just smash all those letters together into the URL, and you'll find the USOV dot com. And that is where we find this week's Banal of America audio listener feedback. And it comes from respected and longtime poster Gnostic Knowledge. And his question is pretty simple. Will the mighty Banal delve into video? That's it. That's all he wants to know. So I'll just simply put it this way. We've discussed video. We've tinkered with the idea. It's something that we have in the back of our collective minds at BanalofAmerica.com. It's something that I expect you'll probably be seeing from us in the future, certainly not something you'll be seeing in the next six months at the very least, maybe not even for another year, but we do have the early germinations of a video project that you will probably eventually see from the BanalofAmerica.com brand. If you would like to be a part of Banal of America audio listener feedback, here's how you can go about doing it. First, go to BanalofAmerica.com, click the contact button in the top right hand corner, or simply write to boaaudio at hotmail.com, boaaudio at hotmail.com. And additionally, as we pointed out earlier, you can go to the usofe.com, register, and post your question, comment, or guest suggestion in the BOA Audio listener feedback section of the usofe.com. Any of those three methods will put your correspondence on its way to being featured here on the All of America Audio listener feedback. Moving along now, it's time to thank the great folks at BanalofAmerica.com, the outstanding staff of BOA. Chiron, Leslie, R. Lee, Joe V., Ralph Molesworth, they are the backbone of BanalofAmerica.com. Without them, the website would be a shell of itself, so I owe a lot to these fine folks. Thank you very much, gang. BanalofAmerica.com, make it a part of your everyday search for esoteric news and opinion. If you're a long-time Banal of America audio listener, an appreciative newcomer, or you're just excited that we're back and ready to rock and roll through 2007, and you want to help keep the show up and running, 
click the PayPal button at banalofamerica.com, make a donation. No donation is too small. Every little bit helps. And all donations go towards keeping Banal of America audio on the air and allowing us to bend the rules of esoteric radio as you know them. Banal of America audio breaks the mold of esoteric radio, and we do that with the help of listeners who click the PayPal button at banalofamerica.com and make a donation. As noted, next week on Banal of America Audio, John Greenwald, Part 2 of 2, Ufology and Young People, Where are the Young People? Why aren't they gravitating towards ufology? What can we do to bring them in? What was John's experience as a young person in ufology like? Who were some of his mentors, and where does he see the future of ufology going? John Greenwald, Part 2 of 2, next week on Banal of America Audio. We will have a musical preview up for you at banalofamerica.com sometime next week. I'm thinking maybe Wednesday or Thursday, I'm not quite sure yet. But we expect to have some kind of preview for you up next week. Until then, thank you very much for listening, folks. It's great to be back. I'm excited about what's going to be coming up in the future for Banal of America Audio. And hopefully all of our great listeners have found us again and you're ready to rock and roll through 2007 with BOA Audio. So stick around. The best is yet to come. Thank you for listening. This is Tim Banal, signing off.